Hello, Internet. My name is Phil Dory, and welcome back to ESC Insight Presents Eurovision Wars. This episode was previously broadcast on Spotify in October 2022, when it was the final episode of Season 1, and you'll hear us mention that in the episode. But don't worry too much about that, because in this rerun on ESC Insight, we'll just crack on in a couple of weeks with the start of Season 2. And in the meantime, in this episode, we'll be talking about a revolution. Hello and welcome to Eurovision Wars, the Eurovision podcast that does not stand a queen. We overthrow them. There's a fun fact that often comes up in pub quizzes and the like, which is that the signal for the Portuguese revolution of 1974 was when they played their Eurovision entry on the radio. And that got me wondering, were there any other examples of Eurovision songs or artists being involved in revolutions? And the answer turned out to be more than you'd think. So that's going to be the topic for today. Bit of news about how this show is going. This is going to be the finale of season one. Kind of feel like I've covered all the topics I wanted to do for now. And between now and next May, I'm going to be working on a part-time master's degree anyway. But that said, if you've enjoyed the show, stay subscribed. I'm going to watch the upcoming Eurovision series, look and see what topics get thrown up by it. And I'm sure there will be topics that get thrown up by it. And then aim to do a new season around May, June 2023, so that we can look back during the off season and think about what does it all mean? And joining me today is Samantha Ross, co-host of the 12 Points from America podcast. Hello, Samantha. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about you? And not too bad. Uh, because of the time difference between Minneapolis and Cardiff, I'm currently sitting here at about midnight my time. Although, <laughs> Hopefully we'll, we'll record this quickly before you turn into a pumpkin and, and the, the, the horses turn back into mice and off, off we go. <laughs> Yay. Well, I'm pretty sure there's a few Australian Eurovision fans listening to this and thinking, yeah, welcome to my world. Yeah, seriously. No, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it feels like every time I, I speak to you, I seem to have a new prime minister. Yeah, I uh, things have changed in the couple of weeks since I've last been on your show. Uh, it's it's. I mean, granted, I always love chatting with you, but I mean, do I just need to keep popping by whenever you're whenever there's a change, or how, <laughs> how does this work? Do I need? Yeah, to, I mean, we're about to have an election here in the U.S. as well, not presidential, but I mean, is this going to be a portend for things in the U.S. as well? Oh, I hope not. Oh dear. Oh dear. So. Oh, and uh, of course, there is a bit of exciting Eurovision news to talk about because we're recording this on the 27th of October and we now have a host city and Eurovision next year is going to be in Liverpool. So how are you feeling about that? I'm excited. I mean, for me, it was a win-win. We we know that it was going to be either Liverpool or Glasgow. Uh, I've been to Glasgow twice before. It's a city I know, I love. I've got friends there. I have my favorite bar that I go to whenever I'm in town. I have a pub quiz that I like to frequent, but I haven't been to Liverpool yet. So it was either going to be a city that I knew and I loved already or a place with a great history and and such a, a legacy of, of music in general. But, you know, British culture is... I, you can't not love Liverpool. So I'm incredibly excited. And I've got a personal bias because my mum was from Liverpool and I've still got a lot of family around there. Oh. One of whom is uh, very kindly offering me use of their spare bedroom. Oh, very nice. Which is quite handy because 
there's been some absolutely ridiculous accommodation prices being quoted in the past couple of weeks for Eurovision. Oh, that's, we can live. that's always the case in these first couple of weeks, though. People panic. People people don't realize that things are currently block booked and things will be released. They will go down. There will be a sense of normalcy by the time tickets are actually released and people actually realize I can go or I can't go. Take a deep breath. It'll all be OK. Yeah, I'd be fine. I did see some absolutely ridiculous prices being quoted. Like somebody put an apartment for the week up for rent for 30 grand. Oh. And I was like, to me, that's not someone reacting to the market. That's just a grift. They're no. just hoping someone up there is dumb enough to pay that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Don't do not do that. If you're listening, don't be tempted by that. Do not. Do not. <laughs> you could get a hotel in Manchester and get a stretch limo to the concert every night, and you'd probably still pay less money than that. Well, most certainly. <laughs> <laughs> so do not. So calm down. It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. So what are we doing today? We are overthrowing the government. That's fun, right? Ooh. Nice day out. So it gets you out in the fresh air. Yeah, I'll bring a couple of beers. It'll all be good. <laughs> Not really something I need to do in my country. Our government just seems to keep overthrowing itself. Oh, dear. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking, by the way, I'm an American talking to a Brit, it would be inappropriate of me to dunk on the British government. Oh, feel we free. Dunk own. away. <laughs> oh, you know, I, you know what? It's more the fact of uh, who am I to talk? You know, it's not like we don't have our own issues over on this side of the Atlantic. So. Yeah. yeah, we're in a bit of a competition to see who's got the most dysfunctional uh, politics. Wee! <laughs> I think we're winning at the moment. At the moment, yeah. Go Britain! Give it, give it a couple of years. <laughs> give it a couple of years. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with this. Famous story of how the Portuguese revolution was kicked off by a Eurovision song. Is it a story you're familiar with? I am familiar with this one, actually. Yeah. So it's. I mean, you should take it. I don't want to. I don't want to step on your toes here. I was going to give a little bit of the sort of background history behind what happened. Um, in 1974, Portugal was led by a corporatist dictatorship, the Estado Novo, and Six years prior to that, the long-running dictator Antonio de Oliveira Salazar had slipped into a coma after a debt check and that collapsed underneath him. We can just have a moment of patriotism. It was a British-made deck chair that did that. <laughs> oh, I don't want to laugh, but get... I, I kind of want to laugh. I, yeah. oh, I'm going to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he was a fascist dictator. So yeah, you can I, laugh. Yeah, I have no pity. I'm sorry. Yeah, I... I've spent a lot sorry. of time on this script thinking of the most offensive things I can say about Alexander Lukashenko. So go Oh, right yeah, ahead. we're, no, that's right. I, the last time I was on your show, we were dunking on Lukashenko half the time anyway. So oh, I, there will I, be more. It's nice, it's nice to see us going back to our old themes. Yeah. You, if you're talking about fascist dictators, you get a get out of problematic free card. <laughs> so thank you for your service, Comrade Detcher. But he had been replaced by a new dictator, Marcelo. Caetano. Oh, by the way, one thing about this episode, I am probably going to absolutely murder some Portuguese pronunciation. Well, I've got some Belarusian and Ukrainian pronunciation to murder as well. So <laughs> apologies to everyone in Portugal, Belarus and Ukraine. <laughs> so this regime, they'd managed to stay neutral both during the Spanish Civil War and World War II. Although that said, they had very obvious pro-fascist sympathies and... Coming up to 1974, at that time, Portugal was one of the most underdeveloped countries in Western Europe. Although that said, in recent decades, they've had considerable economic growth and industrialization. Lots of people 
leaving the farmland in the countryside and coming into the cities to work in factories, which you know, nice revolutionary type scenario. Freedom of speech was being repressed by the secret police, what was the PIDE and later the DGS. And Portugal was engaged in a number of increasingly unpopular colonial wars, particularly in Portuguese Guinea, which is now Guinea-Bissau. And a lot of young people have been fleeing abroad to avoid conscription, especially to France and the United States. That's a bit of an echo of today, that there's an unpopular imperialist war going on and all the young people are leaving because they don't want to fight in it. It's all just a little bit of history repeating, isn't it? Yep. Uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> and amongst all this, a clandestine organisation was formed, the Armed Forces Movement, or the MFA. And this was a group of left-leaning junior military officers who were plotting a coup. And do you know how they met to plot their coup and recruit, recruit new members? Or well, what, like, the secret signals were, or... Oh, how they actually did their... Or where they did their organising. They did it at picnics. Oh, that's wholesome. Yeah, they even brought their wives. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, nice day out. Oh, a bit yeah. of wine, some cheese, a bit of coo. It's, yeah, yeah. fun for the whole family. Where do I sign? Yeah. <laughs> and the coup that emerged out of that was what became known as the Carnation Revolution. It was called that because civilians would offer carnations to the soldiers on the street as they were coming out to overthrow the government. Sometimes described as a bloodless revolution, it wasn't entirely bloodless because four civilians were killed when the DGS opened fire on a crowd, but mostly didn't involve a lot of violence, although sadly not entirely. Mm. So let's talk about how the Eurovision song comes into this. There were two signals for the revolution, and the first was when the radio played, again, apologies to everyone in Portugal as I say this, Paulo de Cavallo's A Depois de Adeus. What Samantha said. I, I um, do speak a little bit of Portuguese. It's my third language. I can't claim full fluency, but hopefully those couple semesters in college. Paulo de Carvalho e Depois de Adeus. What she said. <laughs> And that was played at 10.55pm on the 24th of April, 1974. And that was the signal to get ready. And that song was Portugal's Eurovision entry of that year. And then at 12.20am on the 25th of April, the radio played another song, which was Zeca Alfonso's Grandola Vila Morena. Did I say that Grandola right? Vi Grandola Vila Morena. That? Very, yeah. <laughs> popular uh, and yeah. now very iconic sort yeah. of folk, folk ballad. Yeah. And that one was the signal to go. So the Eurovision song was kind of the get ready signal. This is truly one of my favorite songs of Eurovision of all time. And, and that's saying a lot considering that 1974, we know was a solid, solid year. Of course, we all know that that's the year that gave us ABBA and, of course, the uh, the return of Giulia Lagenquetti, you know, Olivia Newton-John. We, we all know how how great of a year this was. And for me to know that this song came tied for last place breaks yeah. my heart, even to this day. It is, to me, it's timeless. It's classic. It's beautiful. I thought Paolo's voice is just absolutely beautiful. It's... You know, revolutionary or not, to me, this one absolutely stands up. I love it. Yeah. There's nothing particularly revolutionary about the song. <laughs> it's, it's a song about no. the end of a relationship. Yeah, basically. I mean, it probably was 
wasn't even aware that they were going to use his song. I'm sure they didn't ask him for copyright. No, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I I will say another, another memory that I do have associated with the song is that the Carnation Revolution and the sort of the vibe around it ended up very much influencing a later song in in the Portuguese Eurovision sphere. And it was their entry at the first Eurovision that I ever attended in person, which is 2011. Homens de luta, luta alegria. If you remember, they were dressed up as a street troubadour and a student of the 70s and a soldier. And if you look in the background of the, I mean, granted, if you watch the final and not the semifinal, you would have missed it entirely, unfortunately. Uh, but the background was all carnations. Mm-hmm. And it was all hearkening back to this vibe of the 1970s era protest song and the Carnation Revolution and what a struggle. I mean, Aluta Alegria means the struggle is joy and there is joy in mm-hmm. the struggle. Yeah. And to find a shred of happiness in the tumultuous, it, it was very a very, very cool throwback and, and callback to, to the times of, of the early to mid-1970s in Portugal. Yeah. And, you know, they, they are, there were reasons to be joyful because it led to Portugal democratizing, decolonizing, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And today it's one of the most progressive countries in Europe. It is. I'm looking forward to any opportunity to going back. I was there for 2018 when they hosted. And uh, yeah, give me any opportunity. I'll happily, happily go back. Yeah. yeah 2018, the year that they finally, finally won. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like musically, even though it took them until 28, no, sorry, 2017 rather to get a win. 2018 was when they hosted. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, musically, they've really plowed their own furrow at Eurovision, haven't they? They really have. It's one of the reasons why Portugal's kind of becoming one of my pet Eurovision countries. And and I, I kind of have to be basically neutral when it comes to my, my opinions. But historically, I love the fact that Portugal will almost always sing primarily in Portuguese, that they will mm. bring in traditional Portuguese sounds, either instrumentation or styles. Unlike any other country, you can hear a song at Eurovision from Portugal and immediately recognize where it's from. Yeah. There is no other nation that sounds like this. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And uh, personally, in terms of what I like at Eurovision, I mean, there are some Euro fans who really want a big ballad or a dance banger. Personally, what I really like to see and hear is something that looks and sounds like it came from that country and could only come from that country. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, they also serve something with variety and with a difference. I mean, the same country gave us the Marpelos Deutsch, Telemovesh, Saudade Saudade, and Quero Ser Tua. That, that, that all came from the same nation. That's not a particularly geographically large country. Yeah. But they've given us that diversity and that breadth of quality. I have to say, I'm glad I left you to say all those. <laughs> <laughs> Obrigado. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so... Although that's the famous story that links Eurovision with a revolution, it is far from the only one. So I looked for other examples. And for the next example that I found, we're going to turn to where else but Ukraine. Let's turn to 2004. In that year, the Ukrainian presidential election had been marred by 
the outgoing president, Leonid Kuchma, having been caught on tape ordering the kidnapping of an anti-corruption journalist, Georgi Gongadze, who was later found murdered, and said to Kuchma standing down at the election, and he supported the incumbent prime minister, Viktor Yanukovych. Yanukovych, he was, and in fact still is, a pro-Russia politician with a long history of corruption allegations. And just in case anyone is thinking, well, you know, he's corrupt, he's got bad ideology, maybe behind the scenes he's a lovely man who loves children and animals. This is a guy who, when he was a young man, he spent three years in prison for robbery and assault. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, not a good guy. <laughs> Actually, just to give an idea of his level of corruption, and this is a bit of a digression, but it's an amusing one. Um, hey, bring it. <laughs> yeah. You're probably familiar with the story of how Volodymyr Zelensky became president, that he was in a sitcom where he plays a school teacher who accidentally gets made president of Ukraine. Yep, I'm and currently that... in the midst of watching it on, on Netflix right now, actually. It's, yeah, it's Servant of the People. Yes. Yeah, I, I've seen it too. And uh, do you recall in the in the first couple of episodes when he's suddenly made president, he's brought to this ridiculously luxurious palace? And mm-hmm. I didn't know this at the time I was watching, but I found out later. That palace that they filmed in, that was actually Yanukovych's palace. I was wondering, I was really wondering, like, wow, this is a really, really detailed and elaborate set. Part of me wonders if, oh. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a scene which you may remember where he's being introduced to all the staff of the palace and the prime minister is telling him, this is your personal motivator. This is your shaman. This is your ostrich farmer. And Zelensky's character says, we have an ostrich farm. And the prime minister says, yes, we have an ostrich farm. That palace actually did have an ostrich farm. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Yanukovych was actually challenged on that by a journalist who said, you know, you're in a country with so much poverty and inequality. What are you doing with this great big ostrich farm? And his response to that was, oh, the ostriches just happened to be there. Oh, yes, the, the, the herd of wild Ukrainian ostriches just happened to need wrangling and they just happened to end up on my property. Yes. Yeah, yeah who left all these ostriches sense. here? <laughs> okay. It was, a, it was a, a diplomatic gift from the people of South Africa. You know, you know how China has like pansy democracy? Maybe some, some nations have ostrich democracy, you know? Yeah. When you just really want a really big egg in the morning. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Omelets for everybody. Yeah. Um, let's hear everybody dance. Sorry, go on, diversion. <laughs> okay, so going back to the 2004 election, so opposing the ostrich botherer Yanukovych was the former prime minister, Viktor Yushchenko, who was running on a pro-EU and anti-corruption ticket. And famously during the election, Yushchenko was poisoned with TCDD, which is one of the contaminants of Agent Orange, which... Fortunately, he survived the poisoning, but was left with horrible facial disfigurements. Mm. 31st of October, Yanukovych and Yushchenko were the two lead candidates going to a runoff on the 21st November. And Yanukovych was declared the winner, but with absolutely widespread allegations of vote rigging. And these allegations led to huge protests across Ukraine, particularly on the Maidan, the main square in central Kiev, mm-hmm. which is where... A- they tend to hold their revolutions there. Yep. 
and protesters took on orange as their colour, which was the colour of Yushchenko's campaign, and hence it became known as the Orange Revolution. And at one point, up to a million people were on the streets, which you have to remember, this is a million people on the streets in Ukraine in November. You know, they were out there in freezing weather, standing up for democracy. I mean, you're uh, speaking to somebody who yeah. lives in Minnesota, freezing, you know, ah, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't stop us. Come on. Yeah, that's tropical for you, isn't it? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the revolution ended when the Ukraine su- Supreme Court annulled the results. The Ukrainian parliament passed reforms and a rerun was held on the 26th of December. And that one was declared free and fair. And it was won by, by Yushchenko. During the revolution, a hip-hop act called Green Jolly released a song, Razom Nazbahato, which became the unofficial anthem of the protests. And it's in Ukrainian. The, the chorus line is Razom Nazbahato, Nazne Podolamu, which is Ukrainian for together we are many, we will not be defeated, which is a very deliberate reference to a famous Chilean protest song by Sergio Ortego, which is called the people united will never be defeated. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. Yep. That's the one? Yep. I lived in Chile for a while. Yep, this is... This is yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 2004 was also the year that Ruslana won the contest with Wild Dances. And having used this song as a revolutionary anthem, Green Jolly were then selected as Ukraine's entry. The song that they performed at Eurovision, it wasn't the original version of the song. It was reworked slightly. They had to remove some overtly political references. And they also added a couple of verses in English. Very much a product of its time. Uh, oh, very much of, so. Very mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely a charm to that. But it's so interesting to see sort of a snapshot of that moment in time. And also, I mean, the last time that I was on the show, we were talking about songs that were banned for political political reasons. And this song is, it is a political song. The original version of the lyrics literally said, Yushchenko is our president. Yes, yes. That had to be changed. Yeah. <laughs> that, that wasn't going to fly. So, but to see that now, and, and as we, you and I were just watching, it was interesting to say, you know, there are Russian flags waving in the audience you know, the, the visuals of broken chains and just everything that has gone on in Ukraine over the past 15, mm. 20 years. It's it's really incredible. It's ongoing, as we all know. But like we were saying before, how, you know, history repeating itself or history, history rhymes, it doesn't necessarily repeat itself. Y- using this motif of uh, the Chilean song from, from Kilapayun, uh, El Pueblo Unido Jamás Revencio, like I said, which has become this universal rallying cry of a united popular front mm. and, and, you know, the power of the people from, from Santiago to Kiev. I mean, nowadays, if you go to basically any labor protest in the United States, you will hear a version of this. And it's, it's very interesting to see that link and that motif just kind of lace through. And it's a very interesting snapshot of Ukraine then and now. Yeah. Uh, we will be coming back to Ukraine and we will be talking about more rhyming history as well. Before we do that, I want to turn to the next example, which is from Belarus, which we did talk about last time you were on the show when we talked mm-hmm. about how Val were involved in the pro-democracy protests of 2020 to 2021. 
but they were not the only Eurovision act that did so. Do you remember Belarus's 2017 Eurovision entry? Very, very well. Yes, mm. of course. That was actually one of my favorites that year. Definitely very much a big fan of Navi Bond's story of my life. Mm-hmm. And they were involved too. And again, giving a little bit of history. So Alexander Lukashenko, the dictator, tin pot tyrant, future Gaddafi-style bayonet holder of, of Belarus. He's often been referred to as Europe's last dictatorship, but they do hold elections, although usually without a serious challenger to Lukashenko. But in 2020, there was a serious challenger. who was Sergei Tikhonovsky, who was a businessman and blogger who made a lot of use of YouTube during his campaign. Predictably enough, as soon as Lukashenko realized he was an actual threat, in May 2020, Tikhonovsky got detained on charges of being a foreign agent. And sadly, he's still in prison to this day. But his wife, Svetlana Chikhonovskaya, she then ran in his place. And on the 9th of August 2020, the election took place. On the election day, the police and the army were blocking the roads in and out of Minsk. The internet was partly blocked. So all clearly looking very clean and above board. Lots of allegations of ballot boxes being stuffed. And then Lukashenko was declared the winner with 80% of the vote. And he didn't yeah. quite go for the whole, yes, I won with 99% of the vote. <laughs> but even so, yeah. 80%. Is... Why is it? Dictator, they always do that. So, yeah, I won by a ridiculous amount. But not too ridiculous. That would just be ludicrous. Excuse me, I nearly pulled a muscle from rolling my eyes so hard. Mm -hmm. The opposition, their estimate was that the vote for the chicken of Sky was probably more on the order of 60 to 70% for her. It was a little ironic because one of Lukashenko's attack lines was that he kept saying that Belarus was not ready for a female president. Mm. How are your eye-rolling muscles? (laughs) Uh, well, now I now I pulled the muscle in the other one. So thanks for that. I, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to sit here with a couple of cold compresses for a yeah. while. Protests began almost immediately and equally immediately. The police and the army responded with violence, widespread use of, of batons, CS gas, rubber bullets, water cannon. 50,000 people were arrested, a lot of whom were tortured and sexually assaulted in prison. And between four and 11 people died. So let's talk about where Navi Band come into this. Um, their song was Historia Myosikia, which translates from Belarusian as Story of My Life. And this was performed in Kiev, which I think we were both at there. I mean, I certainly was. <laughs> no, I was, I was too. I was part of the Bulgarian yeah. delegation there that year. Oh. That was one of my favorite songs that year. And that was, again, a year that I have very, very fond memories of. Yeah, mine too, actually. Um, Going back to what I was saying earlier about how I like to hear songs that feel like they came from that country. It does feel very authentically Belarusian. It's sung in Belarusian. And it's just warm and joyful. It's a a big hug of a song. (laughs) It really is. It really, really was. And... Ksenia and Artsom are, you know, we're, we're lovely, lovely people in the few times that I, you know, ran across them because uh, so they were 14th in the running order in their semifinal. The Bulgarian team were 15th. So every once in a while, we kind of cross paths a little bit. And they were just lovely and, and just really very pleasant folks. And I mean, I remember having having loved their song the, the previous year when the national final as well, that I thought was 
really quite beautiful as well. Uh, I think uh, it's called This Land. So uh, again, a song with some subtle national tendencies that were, it was, I don't want to say pro-Belarus in a political sense, but sort of a, this is my homeland, this is where we're from, mm. this is who we are sort yeah. of way. Yeah. And yeah. It, felt, it felt organic and natural and not forced. One thing I recall from 2017 was some of the journalists who were around, around the press centre, they'd be noticing, oh, they, they seem quite pally, aren't they, or aren't they? And, oh, they were. They were. Well, they kind of answered that on stage at the grand final. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and the announcement a couple months later that there was a Navi baby on the way. Um, yeah. 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 They're uh, so cute. They're just so cute. Yeah, on the grand final, as the song was coming to a close, they saw dance spinning around in each other's arms and they went in and kissed and i have to say if you look at it on youtube that is not a stage kiss nope <laughs> they practically yeah. chewed each other's faces off <laughs> <laughs> and i believe they're married now so, yeah, they are. Yeah. they are yeah they are well, that was a lovely song that there's nothing especially political about it and although that well their music is very much infused with sense of place by all accounts prior to this revolution they were not especially political people, but what they were, the ordinary people who found themselves in a god-awful situation and got overcome with a sudden case of fire shit. You can blame them. Yeah. And so they joined the protests and they were dressing in the red and white colours of the revolution in on their social media. They did two songs in support of the protesters. Uh, one was called Inshimi, which is Belarusian for different. And Inshimi contains the lines, I change colours and only in whisper. And I presume that line about changing colours is about changing from the red and green of the state flag to the red and white of mm. the revolution. And then the second one they did, which I find even more interesting, is Devochkova Bellom, which is a tribute to female protesters. And if you translate the lyrics from Russian, translates as girl in white, standing all alone in the dark, you swallowing all the words and tears in the wind ask, why does love lead only through pain and fear? I'm walking in white. Obviously, white being one of the revolutionary colors. Right. It's purely speculation on my part, but I thought it was interesting that they chose to record that one in Russian, whether they wanted it to be heard in other countries in the Russian-speaking world that might be facing their own challenges with democracy. So that's purely speculative on my part. The, the politics of language usage are so fraught and so, so deep, especially in, in nations that were formerly part of the Soviet Union. When do you use Russian? When do you use the language of your homeland? What is the state language what is the what is the language of the home uh, what is the language to be shared with other nations so it's there's a lot of layers in language choice when it comes to that yeah so i pulled out a couple of quotes by navi band about their involvement in the process and this is from an interview in svoboda which was translated for esc extra by instagram user naviband.sweden and rcom lukanenka the male singer what he said was real countries, real culture, real musicians who can be on the stage of the Eurovision Song Contest and show what a real Belarus is. They are now in the underground. Culture develops underground. And Xenia Zuk, the female vocalist, she said, we're friends with Alia Chamienka, a Belarusian music musician, who once told us an interesting thing a long time ago. 
no matter how neutral you are, an artist in our country must choose a side. By this mm-hmm. summer, we tried to speak only for the music. It's not even about politics right now. We are partly speaking about out against violence. If we have to choose a side, we choose the side of truth. The truth is with us, the bright, sincere Belarusians. And yeah, they did choose a side. Yeah, very, mm. very brave to do so. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a particularly happy ending because, well, they didn't end up in prison. I believe they did have to leave the country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whenever I'm seeing them posting on social media nowadays, it's from, from abroad. Yeah, I think they're living in Poland. That is my understanding as well. I know they also talked in that interview with with Superboda that I mentioned about the toll that it had on their mental health, experiencing Mm. anxiety and insomnia. Although speaking as a mental health clinician, I wouldn't say that's necessarily mental illnesses. It's simply a normal reaction to an absolutely abnormal, god-awful situation. Absolutely. And um, I, I hate to say it, but they're not the only ones. At time of recording, I, I've stayed in touch with Dima Karyakin, uh, who's the lead singer of Light Sound, who represented the nation in 2012 in Baku. And he was also, he and his brother, Vova, who's also part of the band, also taking part in, in the protests as well. And mm. last I've heard, they've been detained. And I haven't oh. heard from them in a couple of weeks. So oh. well, I hope they're okay. I hope so, too. It's mm. I don't have much news to report or anything like that, other than the fact of it's been a couple of weeks since they've posted on social media. It's been in a few weeks since I heard that they've been detained. Mm. Um, they have not left Belarus. I think they may have briefly for, you know, either a trip or, or something like that. But they've they've stayed primarily in in Belarus. And uh, it's it's very scary when a friend of mine, you know, is dealing with this. Yeah. So absolutely. I, I wish I had I wish I had more details to 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 mm. add to the story, well, but well, wherever they are, absolute solidarity with them, and I hope they're okay. Absolutely. Uh, it may be of note in the current situation that we're in that well, it's well known that there's a, a lot of foreign fighters in Ukraine right now fighting for Ukraine, and one of the most fearsome of regiments amongst them is the Belarusian Legion. Hmm. And they know exactly what they're fighting for because their view is that their route to their freedom lies through Ukraine's freedom. Absolutely. And mm. Dmitry and, and, and Vova, yeah, Dima and Vova have both been very vocal about their support for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And for our last example, we're actually going to head back to Ukraine ah. because there is a Eurovision artist who has been involved in not just one, but Two revolutions. Ooh. And I mentioned her earlier, Ruslana, who won Eurovision in 2004 with Wild Dances. Gotta Uh love her. Gotta love her. The fact that it's been like 18 years since that song won Eurovision, and I still watch it, and I'm still out of breath every single time I watch Ruslana go through that. It is still so good. Yeah, it's just so crazy, and oh, yeah. love it. Yeah, and it's just got huge energy to it, which, given that she's physically tiny, is quite remarkable. It, 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 she's concentrated, you know. She's yeah. she's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, pure distilled Amazonian warrior goddess energy. 
Yeah. And and for the people who I know who've spoken to her personally, like she's, she's just like that normally. She's just this high energy, just go, 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 go. Like, like somebody replaced her milk with espresso. It just, you know, it just. Yeah. I, I saw her live once in 2018 in Lisbon. She was performing in the Eurovision village. And Mm. as I recall, she decided to make her stage show about renewable energy. And she was running around the stage going, wild energy, my energy, renewable energy. And I was standing in the crowd thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> she's, she's just being Ruslana. She's she's doing what Ruslana do. We can't yeah. stop her. This is this is her world. We're just living in it. And Absolutely. It's- you know what? Those exact words actually popped through my head while we were listening to it. <laughs> and... <laughs> And actually, where that energy went, that is actually very interesting because, well, we talked about the origin to revolution. She was there and she was actually very frequently on the on the Maidan. Mm. And following that from spring 2006 to summer 2007, she actually ended up as a member of parliament in Good Ukraine. Honor. Yeah, it was a party called Nasha Ukraina, which is a centre-right pro-EU party. So she was there. She was out on the Maidan for the Orange Revolution. And then in 2010, who was back but, oh, God, Viktor Yanukovych. Oh, like, that old chestnut. Yeah, he was back like a big stinking shit that you just can't flush down the U-bend. Oh. And he ran for president again, this time successfully, and for his party called the Party of Regions, which... Is a sister party to United Russia, which is Putin's party, which gives an idea of where his allegiances lie. Mm. And in November 2013, Yanukovych cancelled a planned association agreement with the European Union in favour of a new trade agreement with Russia. So there's Yanukovych saying, no, we're not having our future looking to the EU, we're looking to Russia, which caused huge outrage. And a whole new set of protests kicked off again in the Maidan, which actually became a barricaded protest camp and led to what became known as the Euromaidan Revolution or the Revolution of Dignity. And while the Orange Revolution was pretty bloodless, the Euromaidan was not. By February of 2014, these protests had turned violent with the police and the Burkut, who were then Ukraine's paramilitary force, initially using stun grenades and water cannon on the protesters and then they moved on to using live ammunition Mm. and all this time Yanukovych was passing anti-protest laws which were later annulled by the parliament and what often happened was that there were Burkitt snipers on the rooftops and they would pick off protesters and 108 protesters were killed they're now known as the Heavenly Hundred in Ukraine, and mm. nearly 2,000 were injured. And just as she'd been at the Orange Revolution, Ruslana, she was in the Maidan from the start and eventually spent over 100 days and nights in the camp, often leading the crowd in singing the Ukrainian national anthem. If you ever watched the Netflix movie Winter on Fire, which is about the Euro Maidan, she's in it, although mm. only briefly. And she was frequently in personal danger for this. Uh, She had death threats, her house and her car were surveilled. And let me ask you something. Do you get nervous when you have to do public speaking? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I tend to stick with podcasts, frankly. 
Uh, so would you be nervous if you were standing in a city square on a big stage with a really important issue, speaking to a huge crowd, and on the rooftops, there are snipers whose rifles are aimed directly at you? Uh, let's see. How, 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 how intensive of a pair of diapers am I wearing at that point? That happened to Ruslana. She was on stage and the snipers were aimed at her. So at any point, she could have been picked off. She's incredible. I mean, whatever you think of, of a person's politics, just to have yeah. the insert organ here, you know, yeah. to, to go out there and do what you do and, and yeah. fight for that. That's incredible. Actually, one thing I'm reminded of with that, and, and this also links back to Navi Band's song about a girl in white, is that a couple of years ago I interviewed a Turkish activist called Eche Termokuran, who wrote a very good book called How to Lose a Country. Mm. And one thing she said uh, when I interviewed her was that her prediction was that when the likes of Putin, Erdogan, all these tin pot tyrants, when they are are overthrown it will be at the hands of young women yeah, that sounds about right yeah <laughs> i mean look at look at iran right now yep and unlike belarus which sadly doesn't have a happy ending at all in the Euromaidan revolution they did win by late february yanukovych had fled to russia where i believe he still is there now and an interim government called new elections they signed that EU association agreement that Yanukovych had tried to cancel. They disbanded the Burkut, who were replaced with the National Guard of Ukraine. And then, unfortunately, that led to a whole chain of events where Russia annexed Crimea, started the civil war in the Donbass, eventually culminating in the war that we're currently in. So, well, there isn't. Not entirely a happy ending, but one thing it does show is that Ukraine has been involved in a, a lengthy decolonization struggle. It's been going on for a, a long time. Yeah. I don't want to say it's not a happy ending. It's just an ending that we haven't seen yet. It's yeah. you know, obviously it's very much still ongoing. Yeah. And that yeah. story is, well, it's still being written. Mm -hmm. And I hope that the story in Belarus still has new chapters to come with hopefully a happier ending. And Absolutely. I hope for your friend. Okay. Look at all those examples. I was coming. Kind of, it's quite interesting that although when the people talk about a revolution involving a Eurovision singer, Paolo de Cavallo's one is actually probably the least interesting one of it. It it really is actually. It's it's rather tame by by comparison. It's just yeah. I think maybe the fact that we have the comfort of hindsight that we're not talking about a conflict that is still echoing right now. Mm-hmm that we have that little cushion, that little soft feathery down cushion between the history of then and now that we're not necessarily seeing the impact that's currently going on in the streets of, of Kiev and in the streets of, of Minsk. And Tehran. And Tehran. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, insert literally <laughs> yeah. so many other places around the world. Yeah, there was, um, we talked about young women being the driver at all. Well, you know, there was just in the last few weeks, the female-led protests in Dagestan against mm -hmm. the mobilization in Russia. Uh, I remember seeing a, a clip on Twitter of a female protester who was just going up to all the riot cops in turn and just looking them directly in the face and saying, you'll be next. Mm. Yeah, he'll mobilize you next. Mm -hmm. Interesting that the police 
did not respond by simply <laughs> hitting it with a club. So they were standing very still with that and wondered what they were actually thinking of that. Yep. Well, as you said, this is stories that have yet to be written. So this brings me to the close of season one. So what I'm going to do now is kick back, enjoy the season that's about to start soon and listen to other podcasts, yours included. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. 12 Points from America, wherever you find good podcasts. Or bad podcasts, you know, wherever yeah. and any podcasts are served yeah. of dubious quality or otherwise. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm just confident that by the end of the contest, when we settle into the off season, there'll be more chapters to be written because there always is. Yeah. I honestly, what would we do if there wasn't? Mm, yeah. <laughs> And I'm just wondering if there's any conclusion I can draw from the, the topics that, that I've talked about over the course of this season. And well, there's two, really, one of which is probably a rather obvious point and not a very original one, which is that much as we think of Eurovision as a sometimes rather lightweight, sometimes rather silly show, although by no means always, the artists and the songs involved are not separate from where they're from and the events going on where they're from. And... There was a second point, which is about fandoms, which is that one of the most rewarding parts of any fandom, and not just the European fandom, but any fandom, is the side quests. What do you find out when you get into a a topic and then start exploring all the associated topics that come up with that? And often that can be very, very rewarding. Well, that's absolutely the case. That's one of the things that kind of drew me into the contest in the first place is, yeah, you have the music. Yeah, you have the spectacle and the joy and the light and the fandoms. But then you get into, you know, scratch a little bit beneath the surface. There's questions about language, questions about culture, questions about sociopolitics, Mm. questions about statistics, if that's your jam. That there's there's always a little crag to hold on to. That keeps you going even when the music is over for the day. Yeah. And there's always somebody to geek out with. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we have our host city and we have a season that's about to begin. Where do you tend to consider on season as starting? I mean, I tend to take it from Festivali Kangas in Albania. I I mean, it's it's sort of a movable feast, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, you could say from, you know, when we have our first song, but now we have at, at time of recording, we've got two artists already. Yeah. It's been a busy off season. It really has. Plus the fact that I also do a lot of work with junior Eurovision, which is in December. So you have that sort of staggering as well. So off season for one is very much on season for another. Mm, Yes. So I hope you have an absolute fabulous time in Yerevan. I'm sure we'll be hearing all about it on 12 Points from America. Oh, yes. I, I cannot wait. Okay. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, well, uh, if you're looking for 12 Points from America, you can find us at 12 Points USA on Facebook mm-hmm. or Twitter. Again, wherever the local podcastry of your choice is, you can find us. And if you just want to find me directly, uh, you can find me on Twitter at ESC Insider. Well, enjoy Yerevan. Enjoy the season to come. And maybe I'll catch up with you at Liverpool at some point. I hope so. Yeah. I think we'll, I think we'll make that happen. Yeah. Okay. I'll look forward to it. And All right. you take care. Get some sleep, man. I will. It's currently quarter past one in the in the morning now. So. Oh, God. Yeah, get some rest. Okay. We'll talk later. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Samantha. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. Eurovision Wars was presented by ESC Insight. The presenter was Phil Dore, guest starring Samantha Ross. 
For more information, go to www.escinsight.com. To support us, go to patreon.com forward slash escinsight.com.